You are listening to The Sovereigns, a podcast based at the University of Cambridge, where we ask ourselves, should we reimagine the state? My name is Tanita. I am Christina. And I am Aditi. And we will be your hosts for this season of the podcast. Welcome! We are excited to introduce you to our new podcast. As you may have heard from our preview episodes, we will explore the issues on statehood and sovereignty... And in this very first episode, we will take you through the story of how the concept of state came into being and some of the complicated issues that it raises. Enjoy! Imagine living in a lawless land, a natural state. Political thinkers such as John Locke, Thomas Hobbes, and Rousseau think this is hard to conceive, if not utopic. We, as part of our societies, have governed ourselves in one form or another over many centuries, starting from smaller kinship groups and tribes to stratified chiefdoms, we have developed simple allocation of power. And with further cultural evolution, like the start of agriculture, establishment of settlements, emergence of commerce, writing, and the general expansion of the population, These smaller groups progress towards a bigger, more complex hierarchical system, giving way to empires based on a divine mandate or a feudal system to rise, to influence, and to grow even larger. For example, the ancient civilization in Mesopotamia, in this valley, and Egypt, were these complex societies organized into administrative structures with leaders deriving their kingship from a divine power. And so at this stage, power became centralized, creating a sharp distinction between the rulers and the ruled. And whether the mandate came from a divine call, appointment by blood, or strength, or reason, these rulers are assumed near absolute power to control the ruled, all justifying themselves as being sovereign. This notion remained relevant and continued to evolve further through the early modern period. One can say that the understanding of what constitutes sovereignty evolved together with the concept of state, which started to be understood as a political entity but inevitably linked to a certain group of people, the society. Amongst the European thinkers, Hugo Grotius stood out for his concept of sovereignty, which laid down the intellectual foundation of the Peace of Westphalia. Popularly, it was only with this peace treaty in 1648 the modern nation-state came to be discussed in Europe. Three decades of war usurping the overwhelming power of the Holy Roman Empire over European dominions emphasized the needs of the states to be territorially defined, perceived as equal, and protected from external interference. 
This concept is believed to be the bedrock of how modern state and international law came into being, governing relations between states that were now equal. But what changed exactly? Well, that's an interesting question. Because this classical approach to sovereignty came under a sharp scrutiny in the 20th century when it became painfully evident that the absolute and unlimited authority of states threatens the international peace and coexistence. With development traversing across borders just as much as wars and conflicts, and the commitment to cooperate competing with the greed for power by those claiming sovereignty, we are constantly at a crossroad of what it exactly means to be a sovereign state under international law or the falling short of it. What are its limits? Can we actually define it? Political scientists and jurists therefore sought states to institute some kind of checks and balances into the interactions of sovereign states with one another through the mechanisms of international law and customs. While this lasted, the steady rise of globalization and the emergence of international and transnational bodies further blurred the limits of these territorially delineated and near-absolute sovereigns that we once aspired to attain. So, inescapably, we are now left with the task to reimagine what statehood looks like under international law in current times. Now, some scholars describe the state as the supreme authority that is entrusted with the exercise of force over a group of people within a particular territory. So with that great vested power in state, should we not just move to a concept of state sovereignty that puts emphasis on interdependence and cooperation, or one that works as an agency, as Alban Venisti coined, a trustee of humanity. The legal political discourse of what makes a state has not been too helpful either. Is state still as purported by the Montevideo Convention? You know, where it has a permanent population, a defined territory, and a government that is capable of maintaining effective control and conducting international relations with other states. Will we just know it when we see it? Or is our perception of a state more often rife with non-objective, politically motivated factors? This descriptive definition of the state as a range of political phenomena has raised more challenges than it has answered. And these are exactly the questions that we are trying to unravel in the series. So, Christina, Ariti. We will explore the struggles of those wishing to become a state. From the Catalonians, Kurdish to Igbo Biafras, we will address the tension between the right to self-determination and sovereignty, and what is its place in the process of formation of a new state. And what about this label of failing or fragile state? Why do we have this concept anyway? Exploring this we will have to venture into foreign humanitarian intervention and the right to protect policies. What impact do they have on the process of post-conflict state-building around the world? Well, while we are talking of state-building, we need to address the different internal and external dynamics that pressure states. What role do something like courts or the people or the law play in determining the fate of all these protracted conflicts like we see in Gaza? And what about religion? 
seeing it as an essential identity of a state. But on the other hand, there is a tension between religion and European states, which separate the public institutions from religion. So, does religion have a meaningful place in a secular state? Is secularism the new religion of the Western part of the world? And speaking about the Western part of the world, what about the international corporations? How powerful can they be over state? Given the volume of their economic assets, their ability to shift them from one country to the other to avoid state taxation or policies, and their role at the labor market, are they the new sovereigns in the globalized world? And what are their responsibilities for violating duties under the international law? Well, one thing is evident that there are lots of competing claims and competing sovereigns. In today's contemporary world, it seems that every place on earth is occupied by this or that state. So if the coming into existence of a state and its concomitant sovereign power are not more than just convictions of our brilliant imagination, is it time to reimagine it? <laughs>